everyone. Welcome to Strong Mind, Strong Body. Today, I am here to tell you exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and why you should do it. How appealing does that sound? Probably not very appealing for most of us. So I'm Angie Miller. I'm the host of Strong Mind, Strong Body. And actually today, what I'm going to talk to you about is motivation. And specifically, how do we motivate our clients? Whether you're a coach or whether you're a personal trainer, whether you work as a physical therapist, whether you are an executive leader, we all know that motivation matters. And I think we also know deep inside that people don't inherently love to be told what to do. So how do we motivate our clients, especially as trainers and coaches? coaches. When we're just so used to this phenomenon where we we tell, we don't ask. And yet we know that people thrive off of autonomy and personal decision making. So today I have a wonderful guest. I met him in Singapore. His name is Ben Wild, and he is the global director of training and education for Matrix. So before I give away any more of our secrets, I'm going to bring Ben in and have him introduce himself. How you doing, Ben? Good. Very nice to join you. It's a, it's really an honor. And hopefully we get to continue some of the conversations we began uh, over in Singapore. Yes, absolutely. So Ben and I, we were on a panel in Singapore. We were on a panel at the Fit Summit and we talked about the future of personal training and what that looks like and how the industry has evolved for us as coaches and as trainers. And I learned then that Ben is a wealth of information. So much of his research in education and insight is based on motivation, evidence-based practices to invite motivation for all different types of clients and all different types of movement. And so so Ben, as kind of I was saying in the introduction, we know that as humans, what we thrive off of is that personal autonomy. We want to be able to make our own decisions. And yet it feels like when trainers and coaches go through their training, that we send the message to them that it's up to them to have all the answers. And they get into this trap of telling their clients what to do all the time instead of that simple thing about, hey, what if you ask them what they want to do? 100%. And so do you like being told what to do, Ben? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. And I think all of us can relate to that, right? Um, I think you, you alluded to it brilliantly in that when we think about that, when we think about our teenage years or our interactions with others, when we're told what to do, I think Dan Pink summarizes brilliantly. He says, um, we have two options. We either comply or defy. Comply meaning we do it to the minimum standard as fast as we can just to get it off the list. Whereas defy is the outright, you know, we're not going to do that and an overt kind of objection. So it, it is that challenge because as trainers, and we've been involved in instructor education as is the NSAM. So we are often taught to tell people what to do and that's our interpretation, right? So the question is, that works. We know what people should do from a physiological perspective. And frankly, that was most of my education um, up until the point that I begrudgingly realized there's something else going on above the neck that has equal, if not greater, influence on people's actual achievement of their goals. 
you know, I like above the neck, something going on above the neck, because you're right, we're so focused on what's going on below the neck. And uh, I like the comply versus defy, because I think your analogy of raising teenagers is perfect or being teenagers. I was a teenager at one point, and I raised teenagers. And I know all about plus I taught university students and know all about that. Well, I'm going to comply, but I'm going to get by with the least, um, you know, the path of least resistance, or I'm going to flat out defy you and then see what you do. And so I, I think that that's a great analogy. And I don't think our clients are in the business of, of defying us, but they definitely, I think, want to have more power in decision making. And what's going on above the neck is their emotions and their feelings. And one of the things, Ben, that I'm most interested in, and you invited this into a conversation that you and I had, and it was about informed choice. And I thought, what a perfect way of wording that. Give me a choice, but inform me enough to where I can make a good choice. That's my yeah. layman's version of informed choice. Tell us about that. Yeah. So uh, again, I think for context, I guess we're talking about how do we help people with their motivation and their information so that they are making those better choices for them. And by them making their own choices, we know adherence is greater. So we're complying or compiling a ton of different evidence-based approaches here. But the first is, is that Jack Brehm theory of psychological reactance, which I know you know and have spoken to quite a lot. But that's, that is that comply-defy response. And the challenge around this is, well, we tell them and they do it. And so often we, if they don't, if they fail in, that, in their efforts, the clients, then we begrudgingly perhaps, and maybe we don't always want to admit it, but sometimes we attribute the responsibility to them instead of considering for us, if we went about it differently. And the, the classic objection of, of trying to facilitate informed choices, then it takes too long. And, and I get that. But when we think about it, the alternative is I tell someone what to do, which is quick, but quick for whom? It's quick for me as the trainer, but if it doesn't, help and if it's not effective in the longer term is it really helpful is it really moving them towards their goals i would argue that's the challenge for us right so if we instead provide a limited number of options and have people choose from it that's kind of what i mean by informed choice so i can understand i can do cardio i can do high intensity intervals i can increase my daily physical activity and how are each of those going to contribute towards my goals, bearing in mind, you know, there's 168 hours in a week. That's a lot of time. My view is it's it's rarely zero sum. It's rarely either or. It's more about how are we helping our clients combine these ideas to move them towards their goals. I like the uh, I like the idea that you said that a limited number of options because if we go back to the teenager analogy, what I found in working like with university students is when you're a teenager, you can't wait to make your own decisions. 
And that's all you want to do in life. And then you go yeah. away to college. And, and a lot of what happens is there's too many decisions and that they're all of a sudden able to make, but we don't necessarily raise kids. Not everybody raises kids to be good decision makers. Maybe we make decisions for them or we get so used to telling them what to do that all of a sudden they have this whole, um, this whole world of decisions to make and they're, they're overwhelmed by it. So I do like that you said, we give them a limited number of options because you don't want to give them too many options because that's overwhelming, but enough options to where they feel like they have on autonomy and decision-making. And so if we were to break this down, let's give me an example of what informed choice might look like. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but if I'm a trainer and we're talking about all those hours of the day that my client's not going to be with me and I want them to add movement, give me an idea of how you would use informed choice to guide your clients. Okay. So if, if we can take a step back first, kind of first principles here, what we're speaking to is is really the opposite of status quo, right? So status quo is and status quo bias. A bias is just a psychological term for the way most of us think most of the time, right? So most of us, most of the time, have a drive to stay the same, what we sometimes call in everyday language, our comfort zone. We, we're familiar with that. We're used to that. So when we're thinking about changing, that's the opposite end of the the spectrum, if you like, if it's a continuum, on one side we have this status quo, our comfort zone, and on the other side we have this change. So how do we facilitate that? You're absolutely right, it's, it's about informed choice. So it's a conversation, and I know you've got a, a great session uh, recording on motivation interviewing, and it's a great technique for allowing someone to work through for themselves what those opportunities are. But But we might say, okay, look, You've got a pool in your complex, you like cycling, and you can come to the gym. Which of those options is going to work for you and when? And exploring that and allowing them to articulate and work through which of those suits at which time. Another slightly more accessible answer might simply be, very often we know that the clients with the best one in the world, they tell us what they think we want to hear. And... And so they'll say, yeah, I've got 90 minutes. Yeah, I can train five times a week. And we know with best in the world so often that doesn't happen. So what we might simply do is give them close to that as they're, when they're fully caffeinated, fully energized, you know, fully ready to, and recovered to, to perform that longer, harder workout. But we can simply give them an easy, shorter option, right? So just allowing them to let themselves off the hook, but still do something. So... Again, we talked about status quo. That's the tendency to stay the same. If we, we try and articulate what, what stimulates that and what inhibits it, right? What inhibits it is choice, guided choice. But actually, counterintuitively, if we provide too much choice, what's sometimes called choice overload, there's just too many things. And we've heard this before, right? That's great. Thank you. I, I need to think about it. When we hear that, I need to think about it or, or the yeah, buts, that's a signal to us that we're assuming they're more ready than we've, uh, sorry, they're less ready than we've understood, right? So it's kind of a red flag for us to go back a stage and maybe refine those choices, sometimes based on preference. And, and again, if, if I like swimming, my goal is to burn calories. I like swimming, I hate running. We know that running burns more calories, but 
my adherence to something that I really dislike is really poor. I mean, we're kind of hardwired as mammals to conserve energy, right? So, so we're facing a battle to help people motivate themselves to be more active anyway. So picking things that we don't like can be a real challenge, right? So outlining choices that, that we talk about positive affect, and affect is simply this pleasure-displeasure continuum, but picking choices that are pleasurable, enjoyable, are much more likely to help those bounded choices, two or three options, helps them make those informed choices. So I'm going to go back over some of what you said and pick up some of your golden nuggets because I love to do this. I'm testing my listening skills, but really what I want to do is kind of bring it all together and kind of keep layering it. Um, and you laid out a lot of nuggets there. So you mentioned status quo that most of us just want to stay in our comfort zone. So if we're going to ask our clients to get out of their comfort zone, basically we have to, I like the word explore. That was such a perfect word. Let's explore what options might be for you. So if you're talking to me and you're saying to me, Angie, you've got a pool, you've also got, you know, a road that you can run on. Um, what do you enjoy the most? What are you most likely to do? And I like the idea that we're exploring it with them and we're having this conversation with them and we're just, you know, like two friends talking over coffee. What do you most like to do? Because like you said, people, if they're, if we're wired to stay in our comfort zone and we're wired to not get too, um, too uncomfortable, too out of our zone, then doing something just because it burns more calories is not going to lead to adherence. But doing something that I enjoy, like going to the pool where there might be other people in my neighborhood and I might be able to have a conversation and catch up while also burning a few calories is probably going to be more motivating. So did I grab some of those nuggets and pull it all together a little bit? Perfectly. Unsurprisingly, you expressed it better than I did. But yeah, no, that's, again, I think we're trying to say, how can we apply these ideas in the real world? So one of the other components we might explore, and the first researcher I came across who studied this is a guy called Pantelimon Ekikakis, uh, who teaches out of the Iowa State University. So he's got some hey, great stuff. I went. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> and, and he's the first researcher I came across who combined exercise intensity with that measure of affect, that kind of enjoyment, pleasure, displeasure continuum. And fascinating. So he did a, a meta-analysis, which you know is the highest level of research. And he showed, interestingly, that when the exercise intensity is lower than the anaerobic threshold, pretty much everyone enjoys that and is, is looking forward to doing it again. They report positive affect, it's pleasurable. When it's lower than the anaerobic threshold, right? So you know, we might call that lactate threshold or something similar. Um, interestingly, when it's close to or at the anaerobic threshold, that's when the results differ. And, and my supposition here, and it's only my supposition, is that the people who are fit enjoy that, but the people who are unfit don't, right? And, and there's a really sort of mixed bag of results when we look at lots of the research on this. But what's interesting is when you go to or above, so at or near maximal intensities, almost everyone, 95% of respondents in that meta-analysis of 16 studies said they found it displeasurable, meaning they didn't want to continue it, they didn't want to do it again. And we've all come across that. But at the same time, if we think about our, our interventions, we look at high-intensity intervals, we look at sprint interval training. Sprint interval training, in its very definition, is at or near maximal. 
which is perfect for those people who are ready and gets phenomenal physiological results. But if you hate it and don't want to do it again, which in Echocarcasis work suggests that's more than nine out of 10 of us feel like that, then that's a challenge. That's something we need to, or we do best if we manage and consider in our programming. So I really like his work and, and his colleagues' work around combining a, an idea of exercise intensity with enjoyment or affect. Uh, I think that that's an exciting area for us to consider. So Ben, I'm going to pick up on that, but first I'm going to reintroduce you. So my name is Angie Miller. This is Strong Mind, Strong Body, and I'm talking to Ben Wild. He's the Global Director of Training and Education for Matrix. And basically, Ben and I are here today to tell you exactly what to do and how to do it. But really, we're not. We're talking about informed choice and why being told what to do doesn't work for most of us. So Ben, you laid out some really good nuggets, and I, I want to go back to something so I always tell the story that when I was growing up, I never considered myself sporty spice. <laughs> That's the language that I use. <laughs> very, very professional language, sure. And um, I was not an exerciser growing up. I didn't do I, I didn't do competitive sports. None of my sisters did. My mom wasn't athletic. And then I went away to college and there was a group of girls who would run and I started to run and it was the most loathsome thing to me at that time. I was so out of my comfort zone. It was so uncomfortable for me. I didn't have good form. I never felt like I, I could just, you know, I never felt like I could keep up. And so I felt like a dismal failure. Fast forward, I get out of college. I moved to a city where I don't know anybody. I joined a gym and I probably joined it to meet boys, but we won't go there. And so I started taking group fitness classes and that's where the money was. I discovered this love for socialization, being in a group of people. I found the keyword enjoyment and I found that exercise could be enjoyable. And since that time, I've had a lifetime of sheer enjoyment with exercise. And I've been able to become a runner and do higher intensity things because I was able to build up. But I always think about myself as that example. And I think, you know, high intensities didn't motivate me and getting so far out of my comfort zone turned me off of exercise. But when you gave me something that I could enjoy, that was at an intensity I could manage, that's where you had me hooked for life. And so, you know, if personal narrative matters, I've got the narrative to support it. I love that. I, I, this, the, again, there's a ton of stuff in there, right? I love that you built up. I love that you changed your preferences over time, which is very real, right? Um, we might find the intensity intimidating at the beginning, but as we improve both our competence or our capability and our confidence around doing those, then we find we're prepared to take on new and different opportunities, different tasks, different activities. So there's something to that. And I know you've spoken very meaningfully to that self-efficacy, which is amongst other things defined as situationally specific self-confidence, meaning the client might come to us super confident in the workplace or, or the home, but stick them in a gym full of equipment and that might be terrifying to them, right? So there's something in an awareness for us that even with people who present as super confident, when we ask them to do something new, that can be a real challenge. And I really love, there's a very old model from Nevitt Sanford. Uh, I think it's, it's 1968, somewhere around there. Um, but he, he calls so it old, the challenge. 
Yeah, he calls it the challenge support model. And what I love about that is basically saying growth happens when there's high challenge, but in order to get there, it requires high support. And so for me, that's our role. So anything new potentially represents high challenge. And we do so well to remember it, right? We're so comfortable in our fitness space, in our place of work, in the different modalities of activity and exercise, that sometimes we're at risk of forgetting. What is it like the first time? We might do well to remember the first time you get behind the wheel of the car. First driving lesson ever, whoever's instructing you, that's a pretty intimidating feeling. And for a lot of us, most of us, we reinforce that we don't actually know how to do this. And there's something to that. There's one more analogy, if you will, if you'll allow me. And I love this analogy of when we learn to ride a bicycle, right? I'm talking about when we took the training wheels off, there was someone there, normally a family member or a loved one. In my case, it was my beloved father. And he was holding the back of the saddle to help me stabilize and stay upright as I learned to cycle. And occasionally, if I got too far out ahead of him, I'd wobble and occasionally I'd fall down. My dad would be there to pick me up. This is back in the 70s, so he hanky wiping my bloody knee. And I'm crying and in pain and a little scared now. And what does my dad say? He says, son, get back on the bike. You can do this, right? So I, I, I think we all can relate to how much love and respect and admiration we have for the person who taught us to ride a bike. Well, to me, that's a perfect analogy for the opportunity we have, if we get it right, to help people with their exercise habits. So, excuse me. So for me, that, that's the fun stuff. That's, that's the golden opportunity that we could, could leverage to really help people change. And if we visualize that mom, dad, cousin, whoever it was, holding the back of the bike, supporting us when we wobble, picking us up when we fall, and encouraging us when we're scared. I think that, to me at least, is, is, is a metaphor that might resonate and help us think about this. I think that was a great story. I'm so glad you shared that because it's so true. Just knowing that there's somebody there who's got us and that even if we fall, even if we fail, even if we get hurt, there's somebody there who's going to help pick up the pieces. You said something in there. You said high challenge requires high support. And everything that we've been talking about today, my brain always does this. My brain thinks to your point from the neck up. My brain thinks from a psychological standpoint, but also a physical standpoint, because the two are so interconnected and we're, we're realizing that more and more. Finally, we're all on board with this. And I think about that, no matter the situation, whether it's physical application or whether it is anything, it's a, a new relationship, a breakup of a relationship, a difficult divorce, whatever it is, we can get through the most challenging situations if we have support. And so I think to your point, we have to remember that for our clients, they can do things gradually, step-by-step, kind of like how I had to work up from fitness classes to running and so on and so forth. But I needed support. I needed to know that I was surrounded by a community and that I had other people, like-minded people doing it. Um, I have a question for you, Ben. The Well, I don't know if it's so much as a question, but something else occurred to me, and I don't know if you know or if you've done a lot of research about this, you had mentioned the Iowa State guy. Is it Ekakakis? Ekakakis? Yep. Yep. Pantaleman. I think he calls himself Paddy for the rest of us to be able to pronounce it. So Paddy Ekakakis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So his research supports that basically a lower intensity is, is 
toward enjoyment. And I know I gave a presentation a while back on exercise as exercise adherence and exactly what I found. The research supports that for the most part, adherence is higher when intensity is lower, especially when you're talking about novice exercisers. And, but the other thing that I found in the research is that that also supports things like emotional well-being. So things like mitigating anxiety and depression. For the most part, the research will say that high enjoyment and low intensity more consistently is going to mitigate the anxiety and symptoms of depression versus go in there and go after it, beat yourself up. Have you found that? So the key word, I mean, of course, I completely agree with you. Um, but the key word for me out of what you just said there is consistency, right? So part of our challenge is to find what can we do and offer that our clients can do consistently. So we talk in, in, in the physiology world about the fit principles, right? Frequency, intensity, time, and type. And, and it's really clear to me now after 20 plus years, nearly 30 in the industry, that, that the frequency is the single most important variable. So that's your consistency, that's enabling people to get those benefits, not just once in a blue moon, not once every two weeks, but consistently. So often when we look at the, 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 the guidelines, the recommendations, it's on all almost days, five to seven days a week to, to get those kind of effects. Now, we may well need to build up to that, but how do we get to that level of frequency? And, and I think you nailed it. It's finding stuff that we enjoy. So that there's a really nice narrative review it came out this year, earlier this year by Hartman and Hernandez. I really recommend if you want to dive into this affect and intensity, beautiful summary by those guys out of the University of Rhode Island. And, and they say pretty much the same thing that especially for the non-exercisers, so to contextualize, if you've been doing high intensity stuff and your clients love it, brilliant. You know, we're not saying change that. We're saying for, for the percentage of your clients and members in facilities who love that, you can keep doing that. What we're talking about is, is the rest of us, the, the other non-active groups. And for context, I looked at some, some research actually uh, compiled by Health Club Management, uh, an organization, not the publisher, but they, they compiled some data to show that back in 1981, the uh, market penetration in the US was 22%, which is not bad. And then we fast forward to 2022, market penetration, 22%. So of course, that as an absolute number has gone up, as the population has gone up, but when you crunch those data, that shows that in that 41-year period, more than 100 million Americans have joined health clubs and then quit. So to contextualize this conversation, why are we talking about this? Because there's a crisis of compliance or adherence in our industry, and it's what can we learn from outside that works? And I know you talked about motivation interviewing in a separate, which I highly recommend, brilliant 16 minutes of your time. If you're going to look at anything, it's it's a brilliant video. But so motivational interviewing is interesting to me. Um, so this is um, Rolnick and Miller, 
um, so Stephen Rolnick and, and Bill Miller, they're the guys who really came up, or Bill Miller's the guy who came up with motivational tuning in the first place, and together they popularized it. Some of their early studies in the 93 and 98, there were actually three studies done. Now, these studies were done in alcohol cessation. So it's not the same, let's, let's be clear. But three studies looking at how can we help alcoholics stop drinking? That's a very resistant to change group. And what's fascinating to me is in each of those three studies, the single biggest variable was the interviewer's empathy, was how much the interviewer connected with and understood the person they were talking. Single biggest variable by a factor of six, right? So the most impactful variable was, do we understand the individual we're talking to and do they feel that? So I know it's different. I know that's about giving up a behavior. We're talking about taking up activity, but I really feel as, um, as, as an opportunity for us to look at models and ideas that we can try. And that's my last piece on this is, is I think we do best to acknowledge that different things work for different people. If they love high intensity, have at it. If they hate it, we can look at something else, right? It would just lay out those choices and options. That for me is, it's sort of N of one, right? When we studied, we talked about that the research has to be objective. Sure, that's, that's our starting point for ideas and options. But what's most important is what is effective subjectively for each individual, kind of N of one, right? N being the number of subjects in a study. What's most important is, you talked about, it's kind of the me search. What worked for you in making your transition from someone who is not engaged in team sports and activity yet and finding your path through. I think, I think that's great. I think that that was, I love the way you picked up motivational interviewing and brought in those studies because Carl Rogers is the one in the world of therapy that talked about empathy and providing an empathic space and meeting clients where they're at. And I know Miller in their work with motivational interviewing, that is a key component is that that empathy that we provide. It's meeting our clients where they're at, making them feel like they are seen, they are heard, and they are understood. And if we can hold space for people on an emotional level from the neck up, as you say, but also we can we can give them autonomy in their decision making, give them informed choice, um, give them to your point that you mentioned earlier. Um, give them choices, but not too many, because too many choices can be debilitating. But you're right. I think that enjoyment trumps uh, so much of what we're talking about when working with clients, making sure they enjoy what they're doing, making sure that they're working at an intensity that makes it enjoyable and doesn't pull them so far out of their comfort zone. And just encouraging this empathic space where we say, I'm here for you. I want you to feel good. And whatever I can do to help you feel good, that's where I know that you're going to keep coming back for more. So Ben Wild, I love talking to you. I could listen to you all day. You've always got this, all this information in your head. I'm not sure how you hold on to it, but uh, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything that you want to say before we go or um, any way that people could maybe reach out to you if they have a question? Yeah, sure. Look, I'm, I'm, be delighted to have more conversations around this and we can certainly share our sources 
Um, so please, you know, put my email, no problem, in any notes uh, in the show notes or whatever. Very happy to have these conversations. Look, our role is to really support the change. Look, our client success, your client success is our success. We totally get that. I've got one more I can't resist. If, if you really want to dive into more research on this, take a look at uh, Richard Ryan and Ed DC's self-determination theory. There are three key points. One of them is autonomy, then there's relatedness, and then there's confidence. Those three key areas are supporting motivation. If you want to continue your thinking and your, your understanding on this topic, but super happy to share sources. And thank you so much, Angie, for the opportunity. It's, it's been great you know, to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. And I am glad that you brought up self-determination theory. So um, thanks to all of our Strong Mind, Strong Body listeners, to all of our FNNASM friends and all of our friends out there who you're out there doing the good work. And maybe you are a fitness pro, maybe you're a fitness lover, whoever you are. I really appreciate you tuning in and listening to Strong Mind, Strong Body. If there's a topic that you want me to cover in the future, be sure to reach out. So we'll see you next week. Thank you.